0: good to have my dad here with us. He's here for the next uh, 10 days or so. Yeah. If any of you would like to meet with him over the next 10 days, I'm serious, if you want to meet with him, take him to breakfast, lunch, dinner, anything, call. We'll set up a time for you. Um. (laughs) Sometimes answering the why questions of life can be very daunting. Almost impossible, really. One of the earliest um, jokes I know you ever heard was, why did the chicken cross the road? Yeah. Uh, answering those why questions can be um, challenging. I found some years ago, a number of years ago, probably 10, some alternative possibility answers to why did the chicken cross the road. And so I rewrote them for a modern day um, As if different people were trying to answer this question. You really, you with me? Hello. Some of you are. Why did the chicken cross the road? Well, according to President Obama, here's why the chicken crossed the road. He said, I fight for the chickens, and I'm fighting for the chicken right now. I will not give up on the chicken crossing the road. I will fight for the chickens, and I will not disappoint them. I wish I was a better imitator of all my imitations. Here's what ex-president Bush would have said if he were asked why the chicken crossed the road. I don't believe we need to get the chickens across the road. I say lead the chickens to the road and then let them decide. The government needs to let go of strangling the chickens so they can get across the road or decide to do something different. I trust chickens to make the right choice for themselves. You're getting in the flow of it now? Okay, here's Vice President Joe Biden. Chickens are big time because they have wings. They could probably fly if they wanted to. Most chickens don't want to cross the road. They don't need help crossing the road. In fact, I'm not interested in crossing the road myself. (laughs) Here's what Rush Limbaugh would say. To steal a job from a decent, hardworking American. That's why the chicken would cross the road. Here's Dr. Seuss's response. Why did the chicken cross the road? Did the chicken cross the road? Did he cross it with a toad? Yes, the chicken crossed the road. And why it crossed, I've not been told. (laughs) Thank Thank you. I'm not done yet. Just hold your applause, please. I've got a lot more of these. It was fun. Ernest Hemingway said, why did the chicken cross the road? To die in the rain. <laughs> Love Hemingway, don't you? <laughs> Bill Gates said, I just released Windows E-Chicken 2015, which will not only cross roads, but will lay eggs, file your important documents, and balance your checkbook. And Internet Explorer is an inextricable part of Windows E-Chicken. Okay, had yeah, to hang with me. Here's <laughs> President Clinton. Forgive me, please. I did not cross the road with that chicken. (laughs) What do you mean by chicken? Could you define chicken, please? The Kathy family from Chick-fil-A said, where? What chicken? Did we miss one? (laughs) Thanks, it got better as it went along, didn't, didn't it? Why questions? Very challenging to answer. We had many tragedies this week in the world, and uh, I would dare say that probably 80% of you have little or no idea of the number one tragedy on Twitter or social media that occurred on Wednesday. For those of you who are over uh, 18 years old, uh, you may have not heard the really tragic news that Zayn Malik was leaving One Direction. See, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about right now, do you? One Direction is the boy band, Five British Guys, number one band in the world for the last five years, sold umpteen billion copies of records. Their first four albums, all released, uh, went straight to number one. And so I have a video clip of some of the responses from... Wednesday's tragic number one tragic news that Zayn was leaving One Direction. You haven't um, heard yet on the One Direction Facebook page. There's a um, thing about how Zayn is leaving the band. <laughs> Never has there been anything so hard to wake up to. What happened One Direction? Stop! Look at this. It won't look right without him. It's <laughs> I wish I was dead. I don't know It just doesn't make sense. What's true? Someone tell me what's true. They're like, I'm going through the first stage of depression. Are you upset They'll always um, leave a spot if, for him when he wants to come home. Yeah! <laughs> Well, I guess I'm not a fan of One Direction anymore. I love you, Zane. I love you. Tragedy occurs all around us, whether we... Sorry. I apologize to even those in my own home. Um, I know for some of you, it's hard to regroup right now. Why is a hard question to answer. Today is Palm Sunday. And in all honesty, we look to what, from some people's perspective, would be deemed the greatest tragedy in all of mankind. God, in human flesh, went to a cross and died on our behalf. I mean, there could be no greater, higher, more devastating thought then God would come to earth to bring us and reveal to us himself and we in turn would put him to death on a cross. Why would that happen? Why was that necessary? Why was it preordained before the beginning of time that Jesus would come in human flesh and go to the cross? Here's what I would like for us to look at this morning. There's an element that we as followers of Jesus Christ know about what occurred on the cross and what we received. In other words, because Jesus sacrificed his life, he paid the penalty of sin on our behalf, we can now have a relationship with God. He bridged the gap that we couldn't cross over. He did what we couldn't do. He paid a debt we couldn't pay so that we could have relationship with God. The next question that I think is really important is why? For what purpose? I mean, so we're we're no longer sinful creatures if we receive Jesus Christ by the grace of God. We're now redeemed, but for what purpose? What do we do now? Why are we here? I, I, I know the benefit, and you do too, that when we die, we're going to go to heaven rather than hell. We're going to be with God forever. But shouldn't there be something more between now and then? Something more to life than the, the look forward to we're not going to all go to hell. Which I think is really good news, by the way. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather go to heaven Be with God, be with you, then go to hell and be with whoever's there. But in the meantime, I believe that there's something more that Jesus Christ gave us when he went to the cross than simply salvation, which is an incredible benefit in and of itself. Jesus Christ, it says in John, which... Scott read earlier to us, talks about how he comes into Jerusalem. They wave palm branches. They go out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They recognize that Jesus is the king. And as a king, you think a king would be treated in a specific way. But Jesus came as a king like no other. He came, it came as a king who, in turn, instead of demanding service, came to serve. I have not, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus. As God came, he is the king, but he came in order to set an example for us that we should follow in his footsteps, that we should do as he did. You got your WWJD bracelets on, what would Jesus do? The idea of what would he do so that I can in turn do them. He's our example. Philippians 2, 5-7 through 7 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. An incredible truth, that when Jesus... God, the one through whom all the worlds are sustained by his powerful word, he emptied himself and became a man for us. But not just for us, as an example for us. James and John's mother, you remember her name? Neither do I, um, because I don't think it's given can't remember but in any case she comes and says hey can my son sit on your right and left when you come into your glory you are a king i love mothers they really help with their sons pushing them forward comes forward and he says to them uh instead he talks about what does it mean to be a leader it's not like lording over this isn't what you think but he says instead whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to Be first, must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The truth is this. Jesus Christ came as a servant in order to be an example for us who should then in turn be servants as well. And the honest fact is we don't like that idea. Most of us really don't like the idea of servanthood. We don't want to serve. We would much rather be served. Amen? I mean, let's be honest here. Most of us would much rather be served than to serve. We'd much rather lead than follow. It's something inside of us. Do you know the word leader is used, oh, somewhere between 12 and 15 times in the New Testament. While the term servant is used over 150 times. The idea of servant leadership is critical to what it means to be not only a follower, uh, to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, but to live it out on a daily basis. And here's the kicker. It's not a matter of just doing something. In other words, it's not a matter of just serving. It's actually serving with the right attitude. We can be serving on the outside, but kicking and screaming and demanding on the inside. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the Messiah in some of the most familiar passages in the book of Isaiah about the prophetic coming of Christ. As a matter of fact, if you just read them and don't know they're from Isaiah, you would swear they're about Jesus, because they are about him. But they're written hundreds of years before he comes. In the book of Isaiah, there are five different passages that are called the Servant Songs of Isaiah. Chapters 42, 49, 49. 50, 52, and the very familiar passage, Isaiah 53. They're called servant songs for a reason. They speak of the Messiah coming as a servant. So here's my premise for us this morning. Jesus Christ came to this earth and went to the cross to save us from our sins, but also as an example for us. To... To show what does it mean to really serve. To show what it really means to lay down your life for others. So on this Palm Sunday when we look to the cross and we think of the idea of the king who came as a servant, what does that mean as an example for us? What are some of the characteristics of this servant that we should also be exemplifying? So from Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4, I want to list six, and I'm going to list them quick, examples of the way Christ came as an example for us as a servant so that we should also be like this. Here's the passage in its entirety. Here is my servant whom I uphold. and This is the, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah speaking, but it's God speaking about the coming of Christ. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Six characteristics of Christ that we should also be walking in. We should be like this first one is this we need to be dependent on God dependent on God it says about Jesus here is my servant whom I uphold it says in Philippians 2 which we just read that Jesus made himself nothing and he emptied himself and became totally dependent upon the father oh what Jesus had to give up to become a man as I said, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the sun as the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here's what happens. Jesus, who is the sustainer, gives up everything and comes to earth and now must be sustained. He, he empties himself of all his God privileges which is, we don't even understand how this dynamic could take place, how he could set aside all of the rights and privileges and powers of being God and yet still be God in the flesh and be totally dependent on Father God. It says in John eight twenty eight, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's talking about the cross, by the way, Then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do what pleases him. He's saying, I'm sustained. I I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only speak what he tells me to speak. I only do what he shows me to do. I am totally and completely dependent on God. In the first temptation, you remember, Jesus been in the desert for 40 days. Satan comes to him and says, hey, I can tell you're hungry. You've been out here 40 days. Why don't you turn these stones into bread and have something to eat? What is Jesus' response to him? Go ahead, Dottie. But by what? Every word that comes from the Father. He's saying, listen, you think sustenance is about food. But sustenance isn't about food. Sustenance is being sustained by the Father. It's about dependence on him. Jesus recognizes it, and he, and he tries to exemplify it so that we, in turn, can be like this. Hey, people, we, we are independent, which means what? We don't like to be dependent on anybody else. We don't want to be dependent on God. Instilled in us as Americans is that we are an independent people. We have a spirit of independence upon us. You ever thought that maybe the enemy is using this spirit of independence to keep us from accomplishing what, in turn, God really wants us to accomplish? This idea that I can do it myself, I don't really need anyone. Just let me do it. Just let me do it. I can do it myself. No, you can't. I mean, people, it, it's, it's an untruth. You can't do it yourself. You need other people. Most importantly, you need God. We have to be dependent upon him. I, I want to encourage you this morning. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying, just for the rest of the time, if for some of you zone out, fall asleep. Whatever the case may be, answer this question because you're not going any further in your walk in the Christian faith until you realize you are totally and completely and utterly helpless without him. We must be dependent upon him. And people, I can confess, this is a battle. I mean, I've been... I was raised in a godly home. My dad's here. Um, My mom and dad showed me what it means to be people of prayer and dependence on God. But something inside of me has always been saying, you can do this. You can do this. Work harder, study harder, train harder, be harder, and you can become whatever you want to be. It goes against the word of God. Jesus, who is everything said, I can't do anything without him telling me to do it. Without him showing me. Be dependent upon God. Second point is this. In Isaiah 42, 1, he says, My chosen one in whom I delight. Jesus was fully and completely accepted. On at least two occasions, at his baptism and at the transfiguration, the voice, the audible voice of God is heard from heaven so that others hear it, saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Christ was a servant who is accepted and pleasing to the Father. It says in Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves here's the corollary truth. Jesus Christ came as a servant, fully accepted by God. When we come to know Christ, we become adopted in his family as sons and daughters, fully accepted by God. Fully accepted by God. Now, this is a tough truth for some of us because we don't even accept ourselves. Some of us don't even like ourselves. We're like, I, I I'm such a bad person, how can I fully receive who I am in my own mind? Therefore, how how could God fully accept me? You've been adopted by His pleasure and will. This is an unbelievable grace story. His pleasure and will. Why are you accepted? Because you're such a wonderful you. I mean, that's what we think. Oh, I think God's happy to have me. Well, he is, but not because you're so great and he needed wonderful you. But rather, because of his pleasure and his will, he's fully accepted you. So whether you think you're awful or you think you're Mr. Wonderful, it doesn't matter. Because God accepted you because of his pleasure and will, not because of yours. You are fully accepted. Why? Because Jesus Christ came as a servant and laid down his life for you. So, this in turn flips over and says, now why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Do you do what you do in order for God to accept you? No, you do it because, I say this over and over again, but this is really important because we all have this works mentality that says, I was accepted by God's grace, but now i got to work really hard for him to stay happy with me. Because if he doesn't stay happy with me, he's going to get me. And then I'll be forced to do something. So I'd rather stay ahead of the curve. Listen, we do his will because his law is written in our hearts because we just, we love him. We know we're accepted, we know we're loved, therefore we respond out of love. Not in order to get acceptance, ever. If at any point in your Christian life you're trying to do something in order to get God to accept you more, you've gone off the, you've gone off the rails. Jesus was able to endure the cross and its shame because he knew not only of his plan and his purpose, but because he was fully accepted by God. It was an act of love on our behalf. Third point, receive the Spirit's anointing. Moving straight through the passage. I'm just preaching straight through it. Uh, Isaiah 42.2 says, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice. The Spirit of God was on him. If you look, I I don't have time to walk through all the passages that talk about this, but it's really critical. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. This is John's commentary on what's going on after John 3.16 and Jesus coming. Now John starts talking about the reason Jesus could do what he did was because the Spirit of God was upon him. In Luke four eighteen and 19, Jesus' first sermon, he gets up and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recover your sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Before this, it talks about Jesus, led by the Spirit, goes to be baptized. Jesus, led by the Spirit, goes into the desert. Jesus, led by the Spirit, gets up and preaches. If you really want to do a study, do a study of Luke and Acts, the two companion volumes, and just look through, talking about how many times Jesus and then the church and us are led by the Spirit. It was really a study of that, Luke and Acts, and the works of the Spirit that, that changed my direction as far as my Christian life. Just studying those two books and looking at the work of the Spirit in Luke and Acts changed direction. Because I came to the realization, look, and I know this is obvious, and I've said it a bunch of times, but it's a truth that's really really changed my perspective. was this. If Jesus, who is fully God, came to earth and could only do what he did by the power of the Spirit who indwelled him, how much more do I need the power of the Spirit to be able to do the Christian life as I'm being directed to do it? I mean, it's a simple truth, but it, it radically altered my thoughts. I mean, Jesus, much better than me. Amen? Come on, you, you can jump on that. Uh, much better than, much more powerful, much smarter. I, I mean, every advantage. But still, he could only do what he did by the power of the Spirit how much more do I need the Spirit's anointing upon me and us to do it? And, and I want to tell you right now, if you're trying to live the Christian life without the Spirit's anointing, good, good luck, good luck to you. You may not have yet, but you will reach the end of your natural rope. At some point, God will let you run, his, run its course. Maybe this week, next week, next year, the year after that. It will be at some point. And you'll come to the realization too that you cannot do this on your own. And you were never intended to. One other passage talks about how Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. By the power of the Spirit, he did what he did by the Spirit's anointing. Here's my contention. This is my theological premise is that he did everything through the power of the Spirit that indwelt him. The exact same Holy Spirit is here for us today. The same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit that directed him to the cross. The same Holy Spirit that was present at Pentecost. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Paul and Saul and the early church and Peter. The people on the day of Pentecost. The exact same Holy Spirit is here for us today. I mean, do you believe that? I don't know that all of us really get a hold of that. We find excuses to say that was for a different age or a different dispensation. No, it's for today. It is for today and always. Jesus came to live as an example for us that we should follow in his steps by the power of the Spirit. All right, fourth, walk in humility. Verse 2 again, the last part of verse 2. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Isn't ironic? Jesus came, he preached. Where did all these people come from? They came because the power of the Spirit was on him. He was doing great things in the name of the Father. But he wasn't doing it to self-promote. He did everything out of a Spirit of humility. Here's something you can examine with yourself. Why do you do what you do? Why do you work for Habitat for Humanity? Why do you um, go out and help people learn to read? Why do you do United Way? Why? I had a high school counselor tell me one time, I was applying for a scholarship, and I remember sitting in her office at North Miami Senior High, North Miami Pioneers, that's our name, Pioneers, I don't know how Pioneers got to Miami, uh, but that's where we were, <laughs> I had a ca- guidance counselor encourage me to sign up for a service project in order that it would look good on my resume so the college would look at me better. Come on, parents, how many of us have done that? How many of us have said, you, you know, you really need to get some service hours in so that the college will, colleges will look at you better? You know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this. He says, if you do it for the praise of men, you've received your reward. Well, college scholarship's not a bad reward for right now, I guess, but I think there's a greater reward. Why do you serve? Why do you do what you do? The second temptation that the uh, devil says to Jesus, he's on the pinnacle of the temple, says, throw yourself down. You know, he'll, God will take care of you. He'll give his angels charge over you. And Jesus says to him, no, I'm. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to draw attention to myself. He refused to perform miracles and demand, but rather at the leading of the Holy Spirit. One of the leading authors of the 70s was Alex, um, Alex Haley, who wrote the book Roots, which then became the first miniseries, which created a sensation. Uh, Alex Haley had this painting behind him, And on the painting, there was a turtle on a fence post, sitting on a fence post. And he kept it in his office as a reminder because he said this, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had to have some help to get there. Are you with me? Do you all need me to explain that? Everybody good? I mean, he didn't get there by himself. He had to have some help. The reminder is this, you didn't get where you are by yourself. And doing more won't get you any more there. Hello? I mean, we keep thinking, if I do more, then I'll get more there. Well, I didn't get here by me doing it, so how am I going to get there by me doing it? Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's one clue that you may be just serving out of your own stuff. Think about this. Are you too proud to do some areas of service? In other words, are there some things, uh, I, I just... I can't bring myself to do that. Well, what are you saying? Well, I'm a little... Listen, I'm not talking about anointing or... I'm not talking about being led by the Spirit to to serve or not serve in certain areas. I'm talking about our own stuff that kind of prevents us from saying yes to the voice of the Spirit that may be leading us. Philippians 2 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. The most complete picture of the humility of Christ is the cross. He humbled himself, not just by becoming a man. I mean, think about the big deal that was. Setting aside his God privileges, coming to earth as a man, but then went to the cross on our behalf. Fifth. You're staying with me, these are all characteristics of Christ as servant, demonstrated by the cross that we should be following in as well. We need to empathize with the hurting. Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. A servant specializes in bringing back the hurting. By the way, this may be the hardest one of all for some of us. Because it is not pretty. It takes hard work. Hurting people hurt people. I can't remember where we heard that the first time, but it stuck with me forever. Hurting people hurt people. And if you try to help hurting people, they will hurt you. So for some of us who say, I'm not going to put myself in that position. This is too hard. I reached out to help them and they bit me. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, if you help hurting people, they will at times snap back. But we need to empathize with those who are hurting. It doesn't keep us by the power of the Spirit from pressing on. Again, is not Jesus the greatest example of one who came nothing but to help and to save and people killed him? We're in this together. I mean, we're like these people who are in a lifeboat and it's leaking at one end of the lifeboat. And so the people at that end are just bailing out water as fast as they can. And we're sitting on the other end of the lifeboat saying, I'm glad that leak isn't on my end. I mean, that's the way we think. I mean, really, we think just because it's not on my, we don't realize that we're all in this together. Some of you are going to get that later. Wait, we're in the same boat. We need to empathize with those that are hurting. St. Francis said this, Being the servant of all, I am bound to serve all and to administer the balm-bearing words of my Lord. We need to serve. To, To me, Peter is the great example of this bruised wick. This smoldering ember. When Peter denies Jesus three times, curses Jesus uh, in public and in front... I mean, when he left that, he was not just... I mean, he must have been just a dying ember. Can you imagine Peter thinking, I've I've totally and completely failed. I am of no use. I'm no good. I've just... I was with Jesus all this time. I said... I, I mean, just the night before, I cut off a guy's ear trying to defend him. Now I'm in front of people denying him and cursing him. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm done for. And yet when Jesus comes back, I, I don't understand all that he did when he spoke these words, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I know you, I, you know I love you, Lord. And that little exchange that happens three times, but something happens where Jesus restores Peter In a way that, a month or so later, Peter is the guy on the day of Pentecost. Jesus demonstrates this love for us in that he he loves and helps the hurting. Brene Brown, in her book, Daring Greatly, says, If we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, Shame can't survive. Shame can't survive in an atmosphere where there's empathy and understanding. Too often, people, our first response is one of judgment. When someone tells us their story, too often we judge them rather than empathizing with them. And what do we do if we're not careful? That ember that's dying, we just stomp on it. Empathize with the hurting. Final point is this. We need to run with perseverance. In faithfulness, he will bring justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. Listen, Jesus Jesus is a realist, but he's not pessimistic. He's always optimistic. He's real in that he sees the nature of things about him, but he still keeps pressing forward. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. Jesus knew where he had been. He knew where he was headed. His ultimate destiny was to get there, and to get there took perseverance. I mean, to get to the cross. His face is fixed on the cross. I mean, it's a terrible destination, but he's not going to give up. He presses forward to death. Paul in Galatians says, Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not what? If we don't give up. If we do not give up, we will reap a harvest. When is that? When is the harvest going to come? This is an important question. When will the harvest come? I don't know. I don't know. For, For you in your life, For us at fullness, when is the harvest going to come? I I wish I knew the day when the harvest was coming in. But the temptation is we might give up. What if we quit one day short? What if tomorrow was harvest day? And we said, you know, I've been doing this just a little too long. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm quitting today. And we're one day short. What if we're a week short? What if we're a year short? Listen, that the concept of perseverance is to, that, that we keep pressing on. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. Serve in spite of your feelings. Emotions don't determine your level of service. Service rather disciplines your feelings. Allow the word of God to build confidence within you. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Do you ever feel like you're in danger of losing heart? I know I have. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. You should, if you want to laugh at something, read what Paul says right before this. Read what he says before about all he's gone through. I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been hauled off for dead. You know, they hated me here, they hated me there, they hated me everywhere. I mean, he sounds like Dr. Seuss. I've been hated every... I I mean, he just talks about how much he's been going... Ah, my light and momentary afflictions. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is what? Can you see that? For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Here are my questions for us today. Are we walking? Are we walking in the anointing and the unfilling of the Holy Spirit? Are you dependent, completely and totally and utterly dependent upon God? Do you know No, 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 beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are fully accepted by him? Are you still trying to earn your way in? Are you walking in humility? Do you empathize with those who are hurting? Are you persevering in the faith? Jesus came and gave us as an example so that we would follow in his steps. To me, these are the truths of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Do we have the same heart and mind as Jesus had? When you come to the table of the Lord this morning, and we're going to come in just a moment. Remember this. Jesus, on the night before he was both betrayed and then tried, eventually crucified, He gathers his followers around, and I I know that all of you who have been in church for long know the account of Jesus bringing his followers together and saying, when he takes the bread, he breaks it, and he says, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes after supper the cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do this whenever you drink it and remember it's of me. When he says do this, we usually think the do this means just take this and eat this and remember. But I think there's an element implicit in that that Jesus, who's about to go to the cross, is saying, This is the way you're to live. Do this. Your body may be broken. Your blood may be shed. Your life will be given up on behalf of others. Do this. And when you do this, when you live out the life of Christ, you're testifying to the world his death until he comes. When we come to the table of the Lord, this is not just some religious ritual, this is not just some thing we go through. This is a declaration that God, we are yours. We're yours totally and completely. That the cross of Christ not only provides salvation for me, but it is the example by which I must live. As you prepare for the table, is this the life that we're living? Is this the life you're living? A life of humility, a life of love, a life of empowerment, a life of acceptance. receive what he came to provide lord we thank you today on this palm sunday this day where we we look to the cross really i pray that oh god we would we would both remember we would receive We would walk out your calling on our lives. Thank you. We thank you for this grand design, this unbelievable truth that from the beginning of time that you, O God, Father, have been pointing us to the salvation and the work of the cross, the work of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. I pray that as we come right now to this table, to this time, where we will remember your death, that Lord, this won't be just about what you've done for us for the future, but it will be as an example for us about how we're to live every moment of every day. May in joy we serve, may empowered we serve, may blessed we serve. we thank you and we praise you. Do your work among us and in our hearts and in our lives in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord and to receive all that we've talked about this morning. We're going to have the ushers come forward. They're going to stand here in the middle and on the sides. Middle section, come down the middle aisle. Outside section's down the outside aisle. After you receive... Take it back to your place. Just reflect on this truth this morning of the accomplished and finished work of Christ on the cross and give yourself to him afresh and anew today. Receive what he wants you to receive. And then in a moment, we'll partake of the bread and the cup together. Come to the table.